Welcome back to Entertainment Weekly's binge of Friday Night Lights. I'm slamming Sammy Highfill. And I have been Darren Franich, but given that we're talking about season four of Friday Night Lights, this week I'm going to go by East Darren. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to lie. I was really excited to find out what your nickname was. I thought it was going to have something to do with like Vince or like. Well, I mean, like Vince doesn't really like there, there's no crossover name. You just added East to your name, Darren. Well, that's kind of what they did in season that's four. True. And it turned out pretty well. Like we didn't really know that there was an East Dylan before they started occasionally talking about it in season three. But it turns out it's a vibrant, active community with its own history. Uh, and we're going to talk about that today, Sam, because it's yeah. season four of our Friday Night Lights binge. AKA uh, my fave. Well, it's your fave. Can you kind of like talk about why it is your favorite, why you remembered it uh, so so glowingly? I think I just have such a big place in my heart for the kind of reset that this show does. And it's not at all to say that like three was bad and I didn't enjoy it, but there was just something really like fresh and reinvigorating about the way they started this and kind of gave the show new life. And it was, I think it was a big risk because like you said, they just kind of were like, no, he still in exists and the lions were a thing. And you very easily could have questioned that, but it really worked and it brings in an entire new cast of characters. This is the start of Michael B. Jordan's run on the show, Matt Loria's run on the show, and all these characters that I really think work. And just, I think some of my favorite stories come out of season four. I mean, well, so Sam, I had not remembered this season with quite the same, and I love every season of the show for different reasons, even season two. But as I'd said before, I'd always said season three was my favorite season. I gotta be honest, Sam. I have a new favorite season after rewatching season four. For all the reasons you just said, I mean, it's so rare for any show to reset itself so completely. It was extra rare back then. I mean, there's almost, you could almost look at this in a little bit in, in the context of, you know, there's been shows like Degrassi that have brought in new mm-hmm. generations. There's almost a little bit of a feeling that this is the season where the show could have become more of an anthology with some of the same characters, but also new people coming in. But just, I think it's so remarkable how they balance out the new characters with, you know, ending some storylines and pushing some storylines forward for the people that we've loved throughout the show already. And I just think that more than anything, I mean, this is a show that started on a level with Dylan Panthers and with these larger-than-life figures. And what this season does, I think it brings them all down to earth in a mm-hmm. way that I can't think of another show doing that I mean like and you know it's it's a very subtle reset but you know right from the beginning you just have this sense that like everything just costs so much more and for the characters it's so much more difficult than it was before and I think that you know to your point exactly I think that just gives it an energy that as much as I love the earlier seasons it's just kind of brand new and I think that's so remarkable I mean to think about what went into doing that behind the scenes Mm -hmm. I just think is so impressive because I mean again a lot of good shows after three seasons are kind of on a certain amount of autopilot and I don't get that sense from anything in this season I'm so glad you're on my side (laughs) I've come around completely, and I'm 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 super excited to talk about it. But like Sam, what was the kind of backstory though? But that went into this season with all these new people coming in and kind of coexisting with some of the actors who'd been there before. I think two of my favorite kind of quote-unquote fun facts about season four because you are bringing in all of these new kids to a very specific show, something that's unlike anything else on television. They're kind of were two stories, one of which was about the audition process, where they have talked about how Peter Berg, essentially, when looking to cast these new kids, 
they would make them read with Taylor Kitsch. And if you as an actor could keep up with Kitsch, who's known for improvising many of his lines on the show and whatever he threw at you, if you could keep up with that, they knew you were golden. And so I love that that is kind of the bar that they set of if you can keep up with Kitsch and Riggins, because we know how much I love that character, then you're good. So that's kind of step one. And then once you're in the family, there was a little bit of a family introduction where Connie Britton and Kyle Chandler actually took all the new kids out to dinner. And Kyle Chandler gave a very coach-esque kind of pep talk to let these younger actors know exactly What they were walking into and how special it's going to be, I think he had a bit more perspective, having been an actor a little bit longer, and just let them know what this project is, how great it is, and that they should cherish it. And I mean, like, come on, that's the perfect way to start a season. And it's so remarkable because, I mean, I do think that in this season you feel very strongly. I'm always very interested by how if a show is is a huge success or if it's kind of struggling to stay alive, you often feel that in the show itself. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, in something like Arrested Development, that was a show that was never successful and that kind of anxious desperation permeated the storylines and I just love that you know this is season four you know we, we talked a little bit last week about the unique method in which they were making the show it's no longer this sort of golden child of, of NBC mm-hmm. and the fact that like so much of this season is about like budgets and is about like you know Coach Taylor needs to get more money to pay for uniforms and you know there's just this incredible anxiety and desperation mixed with you know the, the show's usual kind of generosity and this big-hearted sensibility. And you just feel it. There's that great moment in the first episode when Coach Taylor puts on his red. This is, you know, we're we're entering the red years firmly and just goes to his new place of work. And you didn't realize before, like, the Dylan Panthers had a, like, modern, like, Googleplex as (laughs) as far as, like, a football office went. And now it's just, you know, his field. You see him just, like, getting right into the thick of it. I just, I love how in bringing that character and the characters around them just right down to earth. You just have a different feeling right from the start. And then he meets Vince, which just begins such an interesting dynamic that I'm not sure we'd really seen between him and one of his players before. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking a lot about something you mentioned in in an earlier episode, Sam, about how you're so aware with Coach Taylor how he tailors himself, Mm -hmm. uh, pun not intended. (laughs) Um, He tailors his coaching style to each person. And I love how with him and Vince you just have such an interesting dynamic of two people who are both equally desperate in a really interesting way right from the beginning. Yeah. I love you know the very first seconds of the first episode of season four very much so sets the stage the same way you were mentioning. You see the Dylan Panthers practice and you see the golf cart and you see Buddy maybe being shut out a little bit and then it flashes to Coach who's in a locker room where there's a raccoon which this sounds like the simplest dumbest scene and honestly is one of my favorite Coach Taylor moment. The Kyle Chandler's delivery of, you know, there's a raccoon in here is the greatest. And for some reason, just perfectly kind of, for me, painted the picture of where he's at. Like, he's in an infested locker room. Well, and because, you know, the great thing about how Kyle Chandler plays his character is, like, even when stuff seems to be going well, there's that sense of anxiety to Coach Taylor and a sense of, you know, just this awareness that things could turn very quickly. And, like, this is it. This is what he's been most afraid of all along. We've talked a lot about how on this show, 
you know, to be a part of a community is like really what sort of revives these people and, and what sort of brings brings hope and joy to lives that can be quite difficult. And it's very telling that having thrown you into this deep end you just described of like, you know, the Dylan Panthers are now the empire from Star Wars, essentially. <laughs> they are full malevolent all the time. Like heroes have become villains. Mm-hmm. Our heroes have been brought low. You, you just feel this great tonal change right away when the cops bring Vince over and it's kind of like, all right, now there's a project for Coach Taylor. Now there's some he can help and who in turn can help him um we got to talk about michael b jordan because i I think that he more so than anyone else on the show has just gone on to have such an incredible career and you know watching this i I was thinking so much about how you see a lot of these these early movie star elements in in his performance but you know how do you kind of feel about how vince is sort of brought into the show and you know he has some really heavy storylines over the course of season four that are very different from from, uh, what we've seen before yeah i remember friday night lights was my personal introduction to Michael B. Jordan. I hadn't watched The Wire. I hadn't seen him before. Well, he was heartbreaking on The Wire, too, for (laughs) for a very different and much more tragic reason. (laughs) (laughs) But I do, I remember there were specific moments, some of which actually are, we'll talk about in our next episode, because he has some great stuff in season five as well. But I just remember thinking that he so perfectly played that kid who had the tough exterior because he had to, but was just a dream on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from day one, like I never, I never wrote him off. I never was annoyed with this character. Who I mean, we meet him and he's running from the cops. <laughs> like he's not really painted as this like great. He's not a Jason Street who's painted as this all American going somewhere kid. But I I love a good underdog story, which is probably also why this is my favorite season. But I feel like Vince's story is the lion story like they are one in the same when Vince kind of goes from being this kid who maybe has never played football has natural talent but doesn't know what he's doing to being this great quarterback that he will spoiler alert eventually become and it's the lions going from this team that really struggles in the beginning to a team that ends up finding some success and so it's just I rooted for him from day one and I th- I think Michael B. Jordan's work on the show I love Michael B. Jordan's work on in movies I love it in parenthood I love it in everything he's ever done but I just think there's something about Vince Howard that is forever going to be I think one of one of his great roles I think you're right and you know I think a lot of it comes down to the fact and again in my memory this season had felt a little bit jammed just because it's trying to do so much stuff and what struck me is that he is introduced at a time when there's already a lot of characters we love and a lot of new characters coming in and he doesn't like initially get like any big huge moments that kind of have defined some characters. You mentioned like Jason Street and it just felt like we were on such an emotional roller coaster with him right from the beginning. And with Vince it's just different because I've been intrigued to know it seems to me like just filming Michael B. Jordan as Vince it gives a lot of personality and you don't necessarily you know I like how they don't do any obvious bits of drama with him. There's that great episode where, uh, you know, someone says, you know, someone has called in anonymously. There's a lot of, like, like, (laughs) there's a lot of, like, anonymous terror in this season. Nosy people and he's still There's a lot of nosy people and there's just a lot of, you know, this is really, to me, the season where it kind of feels like it's the most Lord of the Flies. It's the most kind of, like, you know, everything is always against these people. Who's picky? Who's picky? Right, right, right. You know, you're you're never entirely sure, like, who's to blame and towards the end of the season when the defacement of of the field happens. You can kind of guess who it is, but, you know, we never really learn. And so I just love how you feel so strongly this guy who just 
just has an absolute uphill climb. And they don't overplay that. They don't make anything too needlessly dramatic. And I just think that what he brings to the show is so great. I've been kind of going back and finally reading the book that this is all based on by H.G. Uh, e. Bissinger. Hey, what's the, it called? It's, it's called Friday Night Lights. <laughs> and then there's a long, long subtitle that I've not memorized. Uh, it's great, obviously. This is not a new or, or controversial thing to say. But one thing that's interesting is that race and class and politics are very much at the center of that book. And it very much is about that time and place. And, you know, what's interesting to me about season four is it feels like it gets into that stuff in a way that earlier seasons had kind of tap danced around. And, like, you know, you, you can joke a little bit about, like, okay, like now there's an East Dillon. But what that brings into the show is just so enriching. It feels like, you know, we're no longer in this sort of somewhat idyllic version of small town Texas. And I just love how Vince brings all that in, but in just a beautifully subtle way. And the performance is so great. Um, I, I will say, watching this, it's fascinating how Landry is one of the best characters in TV history. <laughs> it's fascinating that like this is the fourth season of the show, and he's now one of the longest-running characters, and he kind of winds up playing the patsy in a, in a triangle with two new characters. But I, I love that, and I love how that plays out in a really sort of real feeling emotional way but you are just kind of like oh Landry like it's just always out of the frying pan and into the fire with you with with any emotional or romantic thing that you try to set up for yourself it is it's an interesting season for Landry's relationships because we never see Tyra spoiler alert all we get from them is him going to a rest stop or their like their meeting place and he calls her and is like I guess you're not going to show up and that's kind of the resolution of that relationship and then he gets into a new relationship with Jess after he hits her with his car which is super romantic but and then you start kind of rooting for them they're very different she is in i love jess she's such a strong she's, character she's in the academic smackdown and she is also a cheerleader i mean this is the dream girl of, <laughs> of all you girls and she loves football but also makes landry a much better football player like she's there's... <laughs> hayden penetier in remember the titans yes, she's exactly. the female <laughs> who gets football yeah jess is great and but it is. It's just as you kind of start rooting for these two, Jess and Vince kind of come together and they maybe have a bit of a history. And it was really difficult for me because I remember really liking Jess and Landry, but Jess and Vince are what's just... Your, oh. What's your read on... So you, you mentioned Landry and Tyra. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've been interesting about this season is, you know, if you're looking for it... You can see how this is a show that's now starting to work around restrictions. I mean, like, it, it doesn't always have all the actors that, that mm -hmm. it wants to have. And so you don't get the typical scene from a show that would be, you know, a farewell scene between Landry and Tyra. And in turn, they almost make this into an interesting feature of the season because... I'm not sure we ever really hear what the history is between Jess and Vince. Like, do we ever hear exactly, like, we know that her father doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of implied, like, they maybe were, like, together a few years ago is that like is is that something that you like have understood or that you know maybe i maybe i missed something i'm not sure but it feels no. it feels like you're entering this story much has happened to them already and you're kind of you know joining up and trying to figure out what that is along the way i felt like they definitely without a doubt grew up together yeah. obviously they're both they both live in east dillon yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is just across the railroad which, tracks from which just just appeared <laughs> brigadoon style after many years but yeah there's that shared history right certainly the sense that, like her father disapproves she knows his mom way. she calls her by her first name 
I also thought that they previously dated. Yeah. They don't state it, but they fall very easily into that, mm-hmm. which I think implies that it's maybe a comfort zone for them. And then they're just like adorable and I yeah, support it. I, I, I totally agree. And, and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. What I like also just about their dynamic is, you know, a character who I think is just so great and that really speaks to, I think, how this season even if they don't necessarily have the people we've gotten to know, you immediately just feel like you meet such a world of people that are introduced in this season. And um, Steve Harris, who's a great actor who was on The Practice, I loved him back in the days when I was watching The Practice. God knows why I was watching that. (laughs) Every other kid was watching Dawson's Creek, and I was all about The Practice. But as uh, Jess's dad, I just think that, again, in the same way that another show might really put a stamp on like what's this guy's problem and this mm-hmm. show doesn't do that like you hear that he was great at football it's clear that like those memories don't sit all that well with him it feels like there's a bigger story about the old East Dillon High School that is just like a lot of history in a small town it's just it's just buried but it's right there under the surface and you know when they're kind of building up the boosters for the Lions it's clear that they feel a lot of like anger and hurt over the fact that the school closed so many years ago and I just love how we with him, there's just this slow emergence of, you know, learning to love football, learning to respect Vince as Vince is becoming a more respectable version of himself. There's just a, a lot of delicate storytelling with those characters that I think just really speaks to, you know, this show just knew how to do what it did better than ever in, in, in season four, I think. He's a big factor for me in the believability of it all. If you are just going to invent an East Dillon somewhat out of the blue you have to have characters like him where you instantly believe that this guy has lived here his whole life he knows everyone who comes in to raise barbecue he knows everyone's order like he's grumpy and people love him and he played like instantly when i met him and when they brought in the boosters this became a fully realized world and i no longer had a problem believing what was happening and we'll talk more about buddy later but like i think i really knew that this season was going to be my new favorite when they are trying to set up like you know this sort of new booster organization for the east Dillon lions and they are not impressed by coach taylor they're not impressed by tammy taylor but then buddy shows up at the taylor household and they're just like is that buddy garrity like i i like how because again in that moment you get this sense of like these characters and everyone in this town does have this history and mm-hmm. even if we're not always like accessing all of it the show at this point was just so adept at being like remember like we'll occasionally bring back that same realtor from earlier seasons and she will still be interacting and I just love that the craftsmanship of that is just something that I think is so astounding that mm-hmm. really comes to the fore in this season yeah and Buddy also plays a big role in Poor little um, Luke Cafferty's story. Luke being kind of the other. We've met Jess. We've met Vince. We'll meet Becky a little bit later. But Luke is the other big new character this season who is a star player for the Dylan Panthers, the traditional now evil Dylan Panthers led by McCoy and his terrible father. But there is a great scene where Buddy kind of alerts Coach Taylor to a mailbox that he himself might have planted many years ago, basically to get a good kid in their district by lying. Long story short. And Luke Cafferty then becomes a lion. Practically the first time we meet Luke Cafferty, he's crying to Tammy because so he's good. sorry. It is an incredible, because you know we already kind of met him. He was sort of one of the background bully boys hanging mm-hmm. out with J.D. McCoy, who by the way, this is just the most nihilistic part of this show, is seeing J.D. McCoy go from being like, maybe 
maybe he'll be a good boy. You know, maybe he'll become the next Jason Street to like, oh no, he's a monster. And the fact that when we meet Luke Cafferty, again, it just seems to me like there was a way this show could have told this story that was really going to be all about like, oh, well, he's another douchebag mm-hmm. from West Dillon and now he's going to kind of, and the fact that it's like, no, it's so much richer than that. And that, you know, the way Matt Loria plays Luke, he feels so much like a high schooler in a mm-hmm. way that not everyone on this show always does. Like, I just, there's something so wonderfully naive about him and honest and his relationship to football is a little bit complicated. Um, again, to think about you're in this show in its fourth season. We've seen a lot of kinds of football players. To meet someone who's just a really good person, but whose drive also leads him in some strange directions is, is a really subtle kind of new character to bring in, I, I think. Yeah, Luke ends up being just... I think nothing short of a sweetheart. As the season goes on, he just gets nicer and nicer. And that was one of the things when we spoke to Matt Loria, who played Luke, he talked about how he never felt that Luke fit in with J.D. McCoy and those guys. And that's why maybe East was a better home for him. Yeah, he never he never fit in with that crowd, especially. He just was from a different stock. And, you know, those guys were, those guys enjoyed a, a very high degree of privilege. And, and that was never Luke's, um, background or maybe interest, but you know, as a team, they're kind of like your squad. So I think that he was, he was rolling with those people. There's a camaraderie I think that develops in the ranks there, and I think that you depend on each other. And so he was a part of the the, the, the crew and the team and the sort of identity of being a Panther. You know, you all roll together. You, it's you, you're you're kind of a um, you're a race almost of in, in and of yourselves. You're 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 a breed. So he was, he had signed up for that and was a proud part of that. Luke always has had a, he always had a strong moral compass and a strong sense of what was right and wrong. And he, I think those values superseded um, his, his Panther interests. Sam. Yes. Tim Riggins is still on this show. And I think like, his role in this season is kind of fascinating. There are other characters on this show who, once they graduate, they kind of get this beautiful kind of like finale or, you know, finale arc. We saw that for Street and Smash last season. Mm-hmm. We kind of get that for Matt Saracen this season, although, you know, his story kind of continues in some interesting ways. But Riggins, like, at the end of season three, it's kind of like, well, Tim, like, for the good of everyone, your whole mission this season has been getting into college. Mm -hmm. And the first time we see him this season, he just leaves. He's chucking stuff out of window of a moving car. I mean, like, I think he's in class, and I believe he's there hearing a lesson about the Odyssey, Mm -hmm. if I recall correctly, which obviously taps in so well with him because he he is the, like, kind of pantheistic Odysseus Jesus figure of the whole show at this point. This is, I think, the best acting that Taylor Kitsch did on the show, which is really saying something because mm-hmm. we saw this character go through a lot in the last few seasons. But there's just something so wonderful about, like, I, he seems so lost at times. And to think about, like, this is a guy we just saw playing the state championship last season. And now he's living in, like, an Airstream, paying, like, 50 bucks a month or something like that. Occasionally you can see in the Airstream that he he has his jersey up. And I just think this is a really bold thing for the show to be kind of like, this could be it. Like, he could be a real loser. And I feel like that's his struggle this season in a way, which mm-hmm. is, you know, just 
brings out the best in in him and in the show and in everything. I mean, like, how do you kind of feel about how that plays out? We've, we we saw him go from like the heights of highest highs last season. He was wearing a white tuxedo. I mean, like, <laughs> you don't you get know. better than that in a cowboy hat. <laughs> I think one of the most interesting things that they do with this storyline is there is a line. First of all, better better yet, there is a story where Matt Saracen and, and Tim Riggins go hunting, and it's magical, and I want to watch it for the rest of my life. Everything about their dynamic in that episode is so great because Tim walks into the pizza shop where Matt is working. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, like, you know, didn't go to Chicago. And, like, Matt says, nah, like, and then asks him about, uh, you know, like, San Antonio. And it, the camera just cuts back to Tim. He just says, negative. <laughs> I just, I love that. I love them going hunting. I love that in that moment, it does seem as if you get deeper with Tim Riggins and learn Mm -hmm. why he could never really do college, which, you know, for me, you know, again, I'm totally more on the Julie Taylor side where I'm just kind of like, not go to college. But like, I love how like the show takes that seriously. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like a lot of high school shows when characters go away and then come back. It feels false and it doesn't feel that way here. Well, the thing that I think is really interesting is on that hunting trip, Riggins is explaining why college didn't work for him for many reasons but one of the things he brings up is that his coach was nothing like coach taylor and it's just very fascinating to me that they spend seasons building up that coach taylor is this kingmaker. he is this wonderful coach and then what is the reality of when you go to college you get a different coach And you can't get better than Coach Taylor, so what do you get? And it's just very interesting that, yes, his passion for football is part of it. Yes, needing a career path is part of it. But the very idea that once you've been coached by Coach Taylor, maybe there is nowhere to go. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. And what I love, too, is that, again, this is now a character where everyone that we've seen him interact with in a deep personal way is kind of gone. I mean, like, you know, we get a little bit of Lila this season in a, a beautiful, beautiful episode that just the the delicacy with which it approaches this relationship is astonishing. But then, you know, this could, if it goes the wrong way, feel like, all right, well, this is a show that's lost all of its characters and now you're kind of bringing in new people. And I love that, like, they really do something quite remarkable. Um, I think Becky's one of my favorite characters on the show. Totally. I mean, I, I know that, like, their dynamic is interesting and in some ways it's a bit frustrating just because you know you kind of know that it can never happen between them and Mm -hmm. yet so much of the show seems predicated on that but I find um, a lot of this season is in a way about Tim Riggins finally becoming a man which is you know ironic since Taylor Kitsch has looked like a 33 year old man the whole time he's been on this show I mean that as a huge compliment I still don't look as old as uh, Tim Riggins does but I find that the interplay of their relationship is really interesting because there's elements of like you know, kind of love interest, dumb. There's elements of uh, is he's kind of he's kind of a lot like her father, which is kind of interesting. But mm-hmm. she also has an interestingly kind of maternal side to him, even though she's younger than him. When we talked to uh, Dora Madison, who played Becky, as uh, she kind of talked about that dynamic and how that kind of played out, and uh, I, I thought she had a lot of really interesting things to say about some of the subtleties about how her interaction with uh, Tim Riggins worked out over the season. I think the dynamic of our relationship was that um, to him, I was like an obnoxious little sister. (laughs) I just think that Becky like was really, really like desperate for like love and attention, like from anyone. I don't think she like really could 
fully articulate like how she felt. I mean, obviously it's like a very like attractive, like younger dude, like in her house. So I'm sure like she had like a little bit of a crush on him, but I think mostly it was just like kind of like misplaced affection and like a need for attention. Um, and really just like meeting a friend, you know, I think for all intents and purposes, like besides Luke, um, he was really her only friend. And then like her and Luke were never really friends just because he always had such a like thing for her, you know? So it's like, it's hard to be like, it's hard to just be friends with someone who's like infatuated with you. <laughs> this is now a show that has, as one of its main relationships, here's a recent high school graduate and a slightly younger girl. And it doesn't, it just feels like they're both bringing something interesting out in each other. I like the fact that you're kind of aware on some level, like, oh, she could be another Lila, mm. like, in this weird way. And the fact that, like, Lila kind of briefly meets her when she's back in town. You know, th there's elements of that, but you're also very aware that this is kind of a new Tim Riggins in this strange way, just kind of being in close proximity to her and everything that happens this season. It makes him a guy who's not going to necessarily make mistakes or just not be a douchebag in the way that he definitely could have been back in the day. <laughs> this is very much a season of Tim trying to figure out who he is by figuring out who he's not. And Becky plays a big part of that. As you mentioned, her father, there's a big confrontation between them and Tim decides, I don't want to be that. And he just goes around figuring out what he doesn't want to be and then also what he can't be. And I think that's what Lila's quick visit home was about, which again is just so great. They have that scene where she says, what do you want? And he says, you. And then she says, but what do you want? And he repeats it. And it's, but that's him figuring out what he can't have. And then it's it just, leads down this very dark path. That, that scene, like pardon my like slight French, that, that interaction between them is so goddamn sad because like this show has always been, very clear-eyed about mm -hmm. the idea that, like, you know, these kids are in high school and, like, this is all going to end at some point. And, and, you know, for some of them it might end in, in, with them going away to school. It might end with them going on to play football. It might just end with them, like, you know, becoming another Billy Riggins, someone who was really great at football in mm -hmm. high school but now has problems to deal with. And, boy, does he have some incredible problems this season. And I just like that to bring back Lila. And in this way, she already seems like she's way older and way more, like, cosmopolitan than him. And you're, you're just very aware that, like, okay, like, she, she's left Dylan behind forever now like this is not something that she'll ever be returning to and the interplay between them is just really beautiful like they never even really say goodbye which is even sadder in this weird way you're just very aware that like this could be the last time they see each other it will certainly be the last well, time they see each other. Well he takes her to the bus station Oh god <laughs> they're not like crying necessarily but there's just this real sense of this is the end of a relationship and we saw season three we know like it was a pretty darn good relationship mm -hmm. like this was not one of the show's things where this was a up and down thing like they were really good together but just their lives were taking them in different directions and then as you said it's not too long after that that Tim sees the land the land I mean like Sam, there's something very western and very just like deeply American about this because like Tim Riggins like he finds his land and, and he's his like dog he finds uh, he, Skeeter he's, he's got the dog there I love that I love that he only stops there so that Skeeter can uh, go to the bathroom but it's just like this whole thing of like you needed to buy land there's just something very elemental about that mm -hmm. and uh, there's, a sh there's uh, a scene later in the show after he's going to purchase the land where they go back there and it's like kind of magic hour and the light is perfect and I, I just think that to me that that's the show 
you know, a lot of this season, just the visual is interesting. They do a lot of those super wide shots, and you're very aware that, like, these are people in this, like, like the big Texas country. And I'm not sure that I, I'd felt that so strongly until, like, Tim Riggins, this sort of wandering soul, like, he found his land. And that, that's what sort of motivates him. And as you said, like in a direction that you sort of understand, but it's also just so, it gets to the desperation of this season. Like, you know, Billy needs money because his, you know, his lovely wife, Mindy, who, by the way, Mindy's great this season, and she spends a lot of the season, like, sitting down and, like, asking for food. But, you know, Billy needs money to pay for the hospital. Tim has his own dream now. And they feel like there's no way they can get there if they don't become a chop shop, which, God, like, Taylor Kitsch just saying, like, Riggins Riggs was the dream, and now it's kind of spoiled somehow. I just, I think that's so, you understand the decisions they make, even if it's obviously, you know, the wrong, certainly the wrong legal decision to make. <laughs> sure. Well, the one thing, I think everything they do with Tim this season is to make his ultimate decision that much more heartbreaking because you see him college doesn't work for him he comes home he offers to help coach taylor they have that great scene where he says are you offering me your help and he says i think i am and he tries coaching but you know again although the tim and luke stuff is great maybe that's not Fours. his path <laughs> It's so good. I love it so much. He can't have Lila. It's just watching this guy. And then he finally, he finds his land. He finds where he wants to be. And they have Riggins Riggs. And stupid Billy goes, I'm like, not even, it's not their idea. It's Billy's idea. Stupid Billy starts a chop shop. And Tim ultimately kind of, I think, concedes to that other life. You know, you mentioned he could become a Billy. And I think in order to become what he wanted to be, which was ultimately not a Billy, which was to have this land and to be successful, he thinks, okay, I'll do this for a little while and that will get me to the to the promised land, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you will. Totally. I well, And, you know, I mean, what you're talking about, too, this season was first airing during a time when, like, I think, unlike anything else on television, this show really kind of caught that, like, late 2000s, early 2010s feeling of just, like, the recession hitting. And, like, you know... We didn't talk about this, but like Vince has his own like massive money problems and they sort of play out in a very similar fashion right alongside of what's going on with the Riggins boys. And with Billy, you're definitely very aware of that. The desperation is a real thing. This is not like I have a beautiful goal in Mm -hmm. mind, like I have a beautiful promised land awaiting me. It's more just kind of like I need to feed my family and like, you know, what am I going to do to sort of like secure them? And I just think that what's great about that is – I've, I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm a big Billy Riggins fan. He, he makes mistakes. Everyone does. But uh, I love that the big speech of the finale is Billy Riggins. Sorry to interrupt everyone in the middle of eating, but um, I, I just I wanted to say that, that Thanksgiving is uh, it, it's not all about turkeys and gravy and cranberries and all that, all that stuff. Um, it's about those brief moments on this earth that we, we get to spend with each other and, uh, and to really take those moments in to, to feel, because uh, one of these days it'll all be gone and we'll be as dead as that fried turkey there. So I just want to say thank you to my friends, my, my family, my beautiful wife, my, my son. 
Seems to talk as much as I like to. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know what I'd be without you. And to, uh, to Tim, I mean, hell, man, we, we've been together since before time. And I don't always tell you this, but I love you. You've always been there for me, and, uh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt everybody's dinner. I, Tammy, Coach, thank you for having us in your, in your beautiful home. <laughs> I'm done talking. Oh. Amen. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Cheers, Grace. Thank y'all so much. You're just aware of like how the osmosis has moved through these people because what he's saying is stuff that like you know taps into what the tailors certainly exude, mm -hmm. what everyone else has really experienced. But you know to be to be focused on friends and family, and you're very aware that very few people sitting at that Thanksgiving table <laughs> liked each other or wanted to hang out with each other a few seasons ago, and mm -hmm. it just feels very earned, which then leads into. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The most heartbreaking scene of all time. Are you talking about what I'm talking about? Um, I'm talking about the most heartbreaking scene of all time. Is that what you're talking about? When when they, when they Tim says he's going to go away, when he takes the rap, I just think, I mean, you know, the reactions, how those two actors play that is just so remarkable. I did it. I did it all. What are you talking about? You did not do anything. When we closed the shop... I reopened it. Tim, no. You had no idea this was happening. Timmy, I, I can't let you do I that. I stripped the cars. I took the money. No. I took the frames to the junkyard. I can't let you do that. You are my brother. You are all I have. You have a family now. You are a father. And you need to be one. This is my decision. This is what I've decided. Sorry. You're my brother. I'm so sorry. His speech very much so ties into everything we've talked about of him figuring out what he doesn't have, what he has in this life. And when he says, you are all I have, I mean, that's it, in that moment, it's true. But also, I'm like, it's not true, Tim. You have so many people. <laughs> I love you. Why don't you see this? But he, you know, sees his brother being a dad now. And that's really the turning point for him. The baby's born. He looks at that. They didn't have a dad growing up. Billy might have been his father figure, but now Billy has a chance to be a literal father and do it better, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Billy, <laughs> Billy might have learned from some of his mistakes with, with Tim. You, you do notice there's way less empty beer bottles lying around <laughs> the Riggins household now that Mindy has, uh, has moved they in. They started recycling. <laughs> it is, but I think, 
I think it is some of the best work between Taylor Kitsch and Derek Phillips and just watching ugh, Billy's reaction to finding this out. And he, you know, okay, yes, I hate Billy. This was all his idea. It's all his fault. But he genuinely doesn't want this to happen. And Tim, I mean, we've talked this entire podcast about Tim's evolution from being that drunk high schooler to showing his heart and showing that he's a good guy underneath and now he's making the ultimate sacrifice because he found where he wants to be and now he's giving up his entire future to do this and it is just it's literally i can't tell you how hard i cry well and and the fact that you know the most noble thing we've ever seen him do is also him becoming like a convict. I mean, in, in the eyes of the law, he is now like, you know, he's, he's going away. He's broken the law. He's kind of like as low as a person can get in the kind of greater societal context. And yet that's also, we see very clearly, like this is him, you know, like end of the dark night. Like it's him doing like the most noble thing he can do. Mm-hmm. And like nobody else can ever really know about it. I mean, you kind of imagine that like young Stephen Hannibal <laughs> Riggins, which I didn't catch at the first time. That's incredible. Yep. You Imagine like he's probably not going to be raised. Like he'll probably hear much later that his dad was involved in this. But mm-hmm. like on some level, we'll kind of be like your uncle Tim, like the ex-convict. Like, I, I just think that that's such a beautiful thing to weave into a show. And again, like it kind of depressing, but beautifully depressing note to really end the season on. It like, is. I have trouble as much as I should hate it, just from the standpoint of loving Reagan so much. I have trouble hating it because it's so funny. If you if you had watched the pilot and I came up to you and I said. Three years from now, Tim Riggins is going to be in jail. You'd be like, duh. Okay, fine. What does he do? Like drunk driving? What happens? But to see how far he's come and to see why he's in jail and just it being the ultimate sacrifice is just, oh, it's so good and so sad. Yeah. And that's why it was no shock when we talked to Derek Phillips and he said that they could not keep from crying in that scene and what an experience it was to film that heartbreaking brother moment. We kind of knew that was coming, so, but it was a big scene, and it's amazing at that point in time how easy that scene was to play. Uh, just because Taylor, you know, at this point, even one of my best friends, would have to, to make that kind of sacrifice for me. I mean, it, it didn't require acting, to be honest with you. The idea that you're kind of living in other characters at that point, which is one of the joys of TV. You know, I come from a theater background, and, you know, you get to perform that character, and you do it for three hours a night or two hours a night or whatever. Um, so to kind of live in a character for, up at that point, I guess it was four years. I and mean, it's kind of like the back of your hand at that point. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. Thankfully, for less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers easy-to-follow recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients, courtesy of over 150 local farms, ranches, and fisheries across the United States, right to your door. Now, my girlfriend and I, we love cooking she's very good at cooking, and I'm very good at following directions. So when we got Blue Apron's crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad, it was a perfect night in our household. Didn't even know what crispy barramundi was before we made it and ate it and loved it. Other upcoming meals include cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice, udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs, and the aforementioned crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. 
Yum, 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 yum. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash binge. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash B-I-N-G-E. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. While we're talking about things that are heartbreaking, of which there are many in this season, we were sort of talking earlier about how one show that I've never really seen, but that I get the idea has a certain amount of Friday Night Lights-esque uh, dexterity with difficult storylines is Degrassi. I've, I've never watched it, but everybody I know has. And I feel like there's a quote-unquote very special episode topic that's at the center of this season and how it plays out is just done so incredibly well. Um, you know, when Becky finds out that she's pregnant. Again, so interesting. We never even see her and Luke Cafferty kiss this season. Like, they, they sort of, like, skip over all that stuff in a way that I find it's just interesting because, you know, Instead, you just live through the, the aftermath of, of, of them getting together. And the aftermath is, you know, she takes a pregnancy test. And in that horrible moment, we see she's already taken like 10 other pregnancy tests. Mm-hmm. It just seems like with a storyline like this, there's a million ways that it can go wrong and feel too preachy or somehow feel like, you know, not quite true to the characters. And I just love how... The show takes it very seriously and takes every perspective very seriously. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it's very clear that, like, you know, Becky is struggling with this. And thankfully, she knows Tim Riggins so she can go and meet. I love that this is the way she meets Tammy Taylor, you know? Like, you, you sort of imagine, like, you're really jumping from zero to 65 as far as, like, you know, Mrs. Coach giving you some serious advice. But I just think Connie Britton, her interaction with this material is just so careful. She's clearly not trying to push her in any direction and is just very focused on like doing the right thing for the character and I just think it's it's really moving again it's it's material that could be really overplayed or really overly dramatic and it just doesn't feel that way which I think is just really really telling about what the show could do with anything you know way way beyond football at this point. <laughs> and the thing that they do brilliantly is they make it very easy for you to root for Tammy. Obviously you want to root for Tammy anyway she's Tammy Taylor you've grown to love these characters but by pres- all she does is present a girl with her options. She never states what she thinks she should do. She never makes any sort of big political statement about it. But this is a small town in Texas, and so it's very realistic that there is kind of a big backlash. We find out that, you know, Luke Cafferty's mother is very religious. They take one very big stance on this. And I just remember so loving the scene where Tammy is asked to apologize publicly. They hold a press conference. They're giving her an apology. That's how she keeps her job, basically, at the end of the day. And she, at the last minute, just decides to say, guys, like, I put the kid first. I'm always going to put the kid first. I did my job. And I just remember the smirk on Coach Taylor's face as he supports his wife in the back of the room and she walks out. I felt that that was so true to her character to really stand up for what she did and stand up for the kid in the circumstance. It is oddly, like you mentioned, not very dramatic how they handle it and yet still so powerful and moving. And and certainly the aftermath is dramatic and here again I just think it's really the show operating at such a high capacity of drama. I mean 
another great thing about the book Friday Night Lights is just, as I said, it's very rooted in like the politics of its time. And like, I still kind of think like my pitch on a Friday Night Lights reboot would be doing a miniseries adapted straight from the book because mm. as good as the movie is, and the movie is very much, it's, it's much more true to the original book. Like there's just so much material in there. There's a whole chapter on George H.W. Bush coming to the area that the book is set in. But, you know, one of the ideas that really comes across is kind of this idea of how Small towns can go a little crazy, and, and and like it doesn't take too much for an issue to snowball. And you know the fact that by the time the abortion issue becomes this sort of political hot potato, we're so far beyond. Like you know Luke and Becky are never involved in mm-hmm. it. You know they they're not involved in, in the kind of publicity angle around it. It becomes so much more this kind of proxy war between people. And again, the show never really makes anyone look totally terrible. Although mm-hmm. like. There is that one person on the school board who just starts asking a lot of like all kinds of like fake newsy stuff, frankly, that then <laughs> that then naturally spirals all the way out of control. And I just think that you're very aware that sometimes on this show, I, I kind of tell myself like, wait, but so like Coach Taylor went to the state championship and you fire him and like Tammy made this school a blue ribbon school and you get rid of her. And mm-hmm. it seems crazy, but you're very aware that like, hey, this is America and like crazy political things can happen in any democracy. And it's just interesting that to take Tammy from that high of like we have changed this school to just really going right up against like the most bitter side of Dylan in some respects and you know this just sense of like just being so trapped by this incident I just think that Connie Britton's performance is just so remarkable because she's kind of a politician and there's that moment of like you know do I do this do I say the apology mm-hmm. and then she doesn't and I like how it's it's only after the fact after she's made that decision that's when Coach Taylor says like you don't you have nothing to say sorry for and I think that really speaks to just there's not like him giving her like a pump up speech or anything like that frankly by that point they could both use a big pump up speech (laughs) i do love that about their marriage though because i feel we are so used to seeing those amazing speeches from coach taylor and yet the one person who never needs them who he knows better than to give them to is tammy because she stands on her own two feet and she makes her decisions and then he simply supports her and he understands that that's his role and that's just another amazing thing i love about their marriage which goes through one other tiny hiccup this season that i have to bring up because the handling of it is again so great and speaks to why the two of them are perfect together which is when glenn kisses tammy <laughs> it is first of all i mean obvi- i mean i would try to kiss tammy let's be honest she's gorgeous <laughs> But I just, I love the way the show told this story from the fact that, A, stupid, stupid Glenn is the one who brought it to Coach Taylor. That whole moment. Kyle Chandler's face. Woo! Kyle Chandler's face in that scene is so incredible. Like, he's basically laughing. And I think what he says is, oh, you'll see me again soon. (laughs) (laughs) But then, what's great about that is that, like, you know, so he's just heard that Glenn kissed his wife and his wife didn't mention this to him. What happens is they talk about it, and it becomes this, like, hilarious joke between them immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no sort of, like, well, why didn't you tell me? Like, 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 you know, he's just saying, like, you realize, like, this means that now, like, by proxy, like, I kissed a Glenn. <laughs> right, and, that's like, his only problem. And, like, like, it literally, it's this thing they mentioned, which then they, they kind of dive into, like, the next topic of conversation. And I just think, yeah, like, to your point exactly, you know, that just is such a wonderful, it's a wonderful 
way of doing something that a lesser show would have made into a bigger and more dramatic thing. And I just mm-hmm. think that bo- both of their performances in that, in that sort of whole whole arc are so fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I want to transition a little bit to talking more about Coach because this season is really kind of his big test as a coach, as a man, as everything. He starts out, I will tell you, Every single time I watch the scene where he forfeits the first game of the season, I cry. It is so moving. I mean, like, like he goes from that locker room where the kids look like they just oh. went through. I mean, they're they're bleeding and they're muddy, and there's just this real sense of like, like you know, they just came back from war or something like that. But you're right, Sam. Then to cut from that, all that emotion just plays out on his face. And like, again, this is a guy we just saw in the state championship the mm-hmm. previous season. To go from that, and I like how you know the show takes the results of that forfeit so seriously Mm -hmm. and that kind of becomes almost in a way this origin story for the team right yeah you would think you know coach at least very much so thinks that he's doing it to protect these boys and you looking at them would think that they would maybe understand maybe be a little bit thankful that they don't have to go back out on that field and immediately the next day the team isn't showing up they don't want to talk to him because through their eyes he gave up on them which plants this great seed of you know that these guys do care they do want to be here so it kind of it starts, like you said, their origin story a little bit. Then you bring in Luke. You have the great scene where they burn the jerseys. And very slowly, this team starts to figure out, you know, who they are. And a big part of that was finding the leadership of that team, which I feel like kind of brings in the the Luke-Vince dynamic, which ends up being a wonderful friendship. Starts out a little rough which was a little bummer for me because I was like, Luke's so nice. (laughs) But he's not always super nice, and Vince isn't always super nice either. And they butt heads a little bit. And I remember when we talked to Matt Loria, he talked about bonding with Michael B. Jordan, going to the grocery store together, and kind of how they built that relationship on their end. Mike and I were pretty tight and spent a lot of time together. And, um, you know, especially at the very beginning when we were starting, we were both staying they had us staying at this like um, Marriott downtown, like residence inn or whatever it was, and um, and I had a rental car and Mike didn't, so like we would go on grocery runs together and we'd <laughs> take him to great shopping. So we 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 spent like a lot of, like the first five weeks that we were in that hotel, we spent like a lot of time together. And I remember actually, little side note, I remember he shot first. And so I came in on, like, say, the second day of shooting, and he, he was up the first day. And I remember, like, calling him and being like, dude, how was it? What was it like? You know, like, how did it go? And he's like, well, we did this, and we did this. And then he wanted us to improv this. And I was like, well, what was that like? You know, <laughs> so we're, but anyways, we were pretty, we spent a lot of time together. So I think, I think, I can't speak for him, but I think we just enjoyed when the cameras were rolling, just kind of sparring and just kind of, you know, having, you know, just just seeing what was going to happen once once they called action it was it was a lot of fun and I like, too, how it, again, you know, this is a 13-episode season. It's, you know, just about half the length of the first season. But I just think that the show kind of can honor something like their really major conflict at the beginning. But then, you know, it, 
doesn't do the things I think a lot of shows do now, which is assume like, well, that conflict is the whole thing of the season. And it's like, no, like they become teammates and, mm-hmm. and they become friends and, and they become people who trust each other. And from there, we sort of follow them off on their own journey. But I like how the show it's almost like the first half you're really in this phase of like, can these can this team become a team? Mm-hmm. And, and then when they do, there's no question of that. And then it almost becomes like this this other story about, okay, like, you know, now can they can they overcome their own personal nemesis? And again, to think about how most TV shows fall into the problem of, well, if we did something in the last season finale, this thing has to be twice as big. You know, like, if we went to state last year, then is there some national tournament that we could invent? And I like how, again, to think about how this season gets so much better by going smaller. Mm-hmm. The Lions aren't going to state. Like, the <laughs> Lions, I mean, they, you know, they get they get drama out of the idea of, like, you know, can the Lions win a game? Like, you know, they get drama out of the idea of, like, can the Lions score? And I like how, kind of starting with the third to last episode, the show is just pushing you towards the idea that, like, we've seen them build something in East Dillon. And, you know, now the question kind of becomes, like, can this team and can Coach Taylor kind of return to West Dillon? And, and I, I think it plays out so well, Sam, in a character where it all comes back to him in the end. <laughs> uh, Buddy Garrity, in this season, you were talking about, you know, picture Tim Riggins in the pilot and then picture the journey he goes on. Buddy Garrity was such a larger-than-life figure in the pilot and was also, like, both kind of a goofy, almost farcical version of what you imagine a booster would be. And in some ways, he was kind of like Coach Taylor's sort of like a mini nemesis. I mean, they were certainly at odds. And I I love that, like, we meet Buddy in this season, as you said. It's clear that his role has been majorly reduced. It's clear that, like, he is kind of both out of touch and kind of desperately trying to stay in touch with the Dylan Panthers. And I just think that the show manages to make you believe this is a character that's going to change and that change will affect the whole town. Uh, we talked a little bit with the great Brad Leland who played uh, Buddy Garrity about a scene that just for me stands out so much which is his sort of final speech to the Dylan Panthers boosters and you know that's a scene that I think just really is such a great motivating factor in this season and he had a lot to say about you know what that meant for Buddy and you know how it was such a surprise given where we met him. I loved that and I loved that they wrote that. It was also one of those things where you you realize you know now you really have to believe this you you're uh, this is have to, is going to have to be sold because no one would ever believe that that Buddy Garrity would stop being a Dylan, Dylan Panther and yet if, when you looked at the reason and when you saw that that it it wasn't about that that was a great clue in into. The, the good part of his heart uh, that that it wasn't about just the winning and it wasn't about just the traditional villain, that it was about the way we play the game and the way that these kids are being taught and who is really the good coach and, and what is really the right thing to do and you know despite the pain of, of leaving Dylan but he knew the right thing to do, and he was not about to join in and continue on in in the way that they had changed. And he, and I think that was a huge turning point for the character. And of course, I loved doing the scene because it was just so completely different than what anybody would expect. It was a wonderful surprise, and so I, I tried to uh, I tried to find the the, the truth. Uh, 
the real truth. And, and I, it was, you know, where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from the fact that he he's going to do the right thing. He's going to do the the moral and, and 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 right thing, and that will be a good that will be a good thing for a character that you know has been uh, despised by so many for so long. <laughs> And what I think is interesting too, Sam, just thinking about, you know, you have Buddy and Eric Taylor and they're back together. And, you know, that feels good. The show takes its time with that, but once that does happen, you're very conscious of like, all right, the dynamic duo is back together. And, you know, there's a side of this season where played the wrong way, it really could have felt like, all right, like the two white guys are going to come over here and fix everything. Mm-hmm. And I think the show really puts that idea under the microscope. There's that great episode that's all about uh, the lights in the local park. Carroll Park, yeah. It, the lights in Carroll Park. And it starts off with, like, you know, Coach Taylor shows up to Carroll Park, and he's in his, like, coaching attire. And he he just looks so completely like he does not fit in there. And what's great is that, you know, in that episode, you have an awesome guest starring performance by uh, Lawrence Gilliard, who was also on The Wire and more recently was uh, on The Walking Dead, uh, R.I.P., as so many people on The Walking (laughs) Dead are eventually. Um, But he kind of plays this character who tells them, like, you know, if you want to make real change, like, if you want to not just be, like, a coach who cares about these football players. Like, here's what you have to do. And I just think that, I mean, again, this is material that played one way could be offensive and played another way. It could just be, like, kind of boring. It could just be, like, you know, I thought the show was about football and not about societal infrastructure and stuff. And the fact that, it, in a way, it comes back to football. I think that's the episode where, you know, they're talking about, you know, what do we do with this park and how do we get everyone interested? And the idea becomes, like, let's play a football game. And I love how, in that scene, Buddy Garrity repeats an idea that goes all the way back to the pilot, which is, everybody loves football. And mm-hmm. I just like how, but again, you know, this show can be skeptical about football, but it... It recognizes how it's this beautiful communal thing, and like there are much more exciting games in the season. But the game in that episode, where you know they're kind of playing like the East Dillon Lions versus you know the dudes who are kind of hanging out there at the park. I just think that's all like that's all good stuff, and it seems to me to imply like that this was this was not just something where they were kind of like all right, like we're going to another side of town now. They really thought about like how can we create this sense of this community and this sense that like you know these are characters who are really learning more about like this side of town. And I think that's really handled so well it is and it's the way that they really build up those stakes because you mentioned you know the east Island lions they are not a team that are going to state so you have to really really want this team to just succeed to mm-hmm. even care about any of this and it is really interesting because when we meet coach taylor in season one it is very much so you have one job coach you have one job and it is to win games and in season four he has a lot of jobs, and yeah. it's much more about a sense of community. But that's ultimately what builds to, I honestly think, watching East versus West, this game, at the end of this season, I've never wanted a team to win so much. They could have lost State in season one, and sure, I would have been devastated. I would have been ten times more devastated had they lost to West Dillon. It just feels like it's a fight for the soul of it Dylan is. and for the soul of this school. And, like, you know, and again, just the way that they've just so subtly built up the community around East Dillon by that point and this show is just so good at like bringing back certain like very minor supporting characters and like I love like, you know there's the moment when you first see the East Dillon boosters like they, <laughs> they are now kind of like they're coming to practice the same way that the boosters that we used to know were, were coming to practice and I just love how there are just so many shots in that last episode that just are this incredible contrast you know when they're at the table and it's East Dillon red versus West Dillon blue 
glue. And I just think that, you know, God, you're just invested in a way that, you know, you kind of can't ever be when they go to state because you're more kind of like, all right, well, that's that's the bad team. Don't mm-hmm. want them to win. You know, Riggins is, is, is on that team. But, like, you just don't feel like, oh, like, just take it to the McCoys. Like, please, like, rid us of the cancer of the of the McCoy family. Um, and I just think that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. The, the East-West divide, bringing it into this season, it just creates this incredible conflict that's right there at the center. And I always think about when Buddy has taken over the, he's he's become the slam and Sammy of East Dillon, essentially, <laughs> on the on Radio and Fuego, I, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. He has Eric Taylor on and says, like, all right, you know, let's talk about the West Dillon game. And Eric's like, no, 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 like, you know, that's two games away. You know, we got a game tonight. And then you see Coach Taylor go to the Dillon Panthers stadium. And you're just so aware that, like, this has been lingering the whole season. Ah, I mean, like, that's what, I mean, this this to me is what, like, you know, just those incredible sports moments on this show. Sports. This is what sports, sports is, is, is supposed to be all about. <laughs> this is when Darren learned of what sports is. <laughs> no, it is. Season four is the season where they took a universe that was incredibly rich and full of all these interesting people and expanded it, yep. thereby making it that much more interesting. And it's true. It, it's easier to get invested when you care about both sides, whether you hate one and like the other, whatever your feelings are, you know those people. And you, you know what? Just throwing it out there that the McCoys are getting divorced, and I wonder why. <laughs> you know, McCoy Boy, lost everything this the, season. The slow dissolution of the McCoy family is one of the saddest, and but also ultimately, well, it's sad because you know you don't want, you don't want families to dissolve. Sure. But uh, boy, they dissolve for a reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, I want to shift gears, Sam, and talk about a character who we, we're talking so much about this beautiful East-West divide. A character who has nothing to do with any of that. Who's very much on his own journey. Um, Matt Saracen does return this season, and uh, he has a really interesting arc mm-hmm. that I think is fascinating in a lot of ways and where it leads ultimately is just so heartbreaking um but uh, there is a lot of this season where matt saracen is delivering pizza and doing an art internship now i want to be very clear sam i like this storyline quite a bit i like uh the artist that he's dealing with mm-hmm. richard sherman i think his name is uh i like that it just sort of ends with him seeing his art one night and having like an epiphany i'm a i'm a big fan of tv shows where, where people just look at art and like have epiphanies so i like that um but you know who might disagree with that statement just a little bit sam no. uh, a fellow by the name of zach guilford who played matt saracen uh we spoke to him a little bit about uh that storyline and how he kind of felt about about it and I, I thought he had some interesting and uh, maybe quite accurate things to say about it you know honestly I was like the whole art gallery thing and I was like this is so lame <laughs> like um, I you know uh, no joke I was like and uh, like season you know until that episode of the sun like once he graduated and it kind of you know retrospectively it's actually kind of genius but in a way it was like you know, so season four, I'm there in Texas, but I'm not on the team anymore. I never see anyone. And it was so weird. Not weird, but it was like, I'd go do a scene. And it's like, I'm with some guest star who was great. who was like this artist. And every now and then I'd see Amy. But it was like, I'm not a part of this show anymore. I'm just like this satellite. And it's like, right, like Matt's not a part of this world anymore. He's not the quarterback anymore. No one really cares about him anymore. Um, which is kind of what happens to these kids, you know? Um and so it kind of was, it was like, man, I would love to stay on the show, but like, what's the point? Like, like you can't come up with good storylines for this kid anymore. 
um, because this show is about a team and that group of people. And, and I just think it was kind of a natural way to have people leave, which was, um, which was kind of cool and made it feel like it felt like, Oh, right. This is how this show does and should work as opposed to feeling like, man, I can't believe they wrote me off. Like I've been a part of this show for so long. Um, it actually felt good to have them not like, to not feel like, oh, they're just shoving me down people's throat in a way that like no one really cares about. What Zach Guilford is getting into is something that I think is great about this season. This season takes lots of chances. One of those chances mm -hmm. is like, what if we just have a character now who kind of doesn't fit in here anymore? Mm -hmm. And that's like the whole purpose of his role in the show. And you know, it does create, it's not as clean of a storyline as something in the earlier seasons, which is just so all about, like, you know, how does it tie back into football? But I, I like that it sticks with him, uh, and I like where it leaves, because it, it leads to, like, maybe the best episode this show ever did, Sam. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about The Sun, the and sun. even just thinking about it, I'm starting to tear up a little bit. <laughs> it is. It's true. Matt Saracen comes back from... I believe it's hunting with Tim Riggins to the news that his father has died. And it's such an interesting episode because, yes, his father has died, so you instantly expect him to be sad. But because of their relationship and how he did not particularly like his dad, watching him battle with that is what I think is the best part of how they handle this entire thing. Watching him give these amazing speeches about how I have to give a eulogy about a man I didn't care about. You know, yeah, it's his father, but he was not a great father. And it's so, watching him battle with that is so, it's handled so well. The balance of it all just really works out. And just, you know, every scene of Zach Guilford in this episode, I think he's just doing such great work. And there are those moments when he's really struggling with the fact that, as you said, Sam, like he didn't really know his father and maybe mm -hmm. he didn't like him that much. And this person that, you know, uh, the part of uh, his father's honor guard sort of says, like, you know, I, I, I make it a point to talk to his fellow guys and like learn about him and I guess he was a big time joker and Matt's just like that's not that's not the guy I knew at mm -hmm. all and yet you know then in the moment of kind of you know going off and saying the public statements about his dad like you know he he tries to dig down and like mm -hmm. says some stuff that like you know you watch and you're kind of like I'm not even sure if you believe this but it's clear that you're doing this for a reason and it's clear that you know you're, you're honoring this guy and th there are screenshots of Zach Guilford's performance in this episode <laughs> that will leave me in tears <laughs> <laughs> the, the scene I will forever remember when they go to the funeral home, it is Matt, it's Tim, it's Billy, it's Landry. They've come off a night at the football field, which we do need to talk about in a moment. But Matt decides that he wants to see his father. It's going to be a closed casket funeral based on the way his father died. They don't think it's a good idea. The moment he sees his father's face, the look on Zach Guilford's face will haunt me for the rest of my life. I love that scene because you just very, you see his face and you very quietly in the background hear Tim Reagan's whisper seven. And it's, he's checking on him. And as soon as he like leaves, they're all three behind him just supporting him. So it's this great, it's obviously a great acting moment for Zach Guilford. It's a great moment for kind of building the friendship of these four characters who haven't necessarily all four interacted before, which I really enjoyed. And one of, I think, the funnest facts, if you will, to come out of our chat with Zach Guilford is there was a moment on that football field when they're all interacting and drinking beers and being boys that um, Derek Phillips actually improvised one of the nicknames that's thrown out there. You know, there's a scene where that was us late at night and, and uh, Derek, you know, um, 
Taylor's brother on the show was there and he like calls me Cobra or something. And that was just like, oh, totally like fucking around, just being stupid. And like in that scene, I mean, that was totally him improv it. And we're like, what? Cobra? And like people will still like on social media and be like, yeah, Matt Cobra Saracen or whatever. And it's like, it's so funny that, you know, people, other people pick up on that stuff that genuinely was just like such a funny, fun moment. You know, the next episode, of course, Matt Saracen leaves Dylan. Again, it's handled in just a really interesting way. Again, there's a lot of not saying goodbye in this season, which is interesting because usually you think of goodbye moments as being the most dramatic. I just think that, like, you know, him driving away is just some of the best and most potent and saddest and most joyful at everything that the show ever did. My girlfriend would be very angry at me if I didn't mention, I think in the original airing, the song for that moment was Bob Dylan singing Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. That's not the song that's on the Netflix version. Mm-hmm. There's been some weird stuff with like with like some of the musical bits that were on the original show versus what's on, on the streaming version. So I would encourage everyone, when we watch this, just kind of like, like cue up Bob Dylan's Don't Think twice it's all right and turn down the music because it does really just you know take it to that next level but i like how we see him leave and then in an interesting way like matt Saracen's not gone and, and you know we do sort of gain some insight into what's up with his life and you know i think we'll, we'll talk more about that next week sam but I, I do like how again we're in this interesting phase of the show where it's becoming clear like all right some people leave and then they're kind of done with the show but the show doesn't forget the show doesn't mm-hmm. forget about these people and doesn't forget about where they've come from and that definitely plays out in a major way uh, in season five which uh, i don't know sam i know i'm gonna love watching season five again but just uh, season four maybe it's this is so it good. maybe this is it i i'm so happy to have rediscovered it uh because i just think that like the stuff that this show does in this season is so remarkable absolutely <laughs> yeah i have already thought of at least like three remarkable season five moments i'm wondering if i'm gonna change my favorite season but as for right now it is still season four and you know everything we said i think perfectly explains why i actually think the perfect note to end this podcast on is something that zach goford told us about how he feels about the sun because i think it's how a lot of people feel about this show and i think it's how you and i feel about this podcast darren i read it and you know it was just kind of like all right i gotta drink some acting juice or something i don't know and there was one there was one night it was like before i don't remember exactly which scene but i definitely freaked out i was like fuck like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to do this good enough like i don't know if i can like they wrote me this amazing stuff i'm like i don't know i don't know if i'm good enough to do this like it's on the page it's right here and like it was it was definitely daunting um but again it was just like you kind of were, I was kind of able to get lost in it and everyone else was so there for me, which sounds cheesy, but just in the sense of like, we're all, we all knew those characters so well. And like, you know, when we hit, when we said action and cameras were rolling, it just felt like coach was like, you know, you could kind of transport to being like this kid because you've been through this for so many years as this kid. And then, you know, you just believe that coach is coach and, Amy's Julie and Taylor's Riggins and Jesse's, you know, like, and it just made you feel everything more because like the way they're looking at you and like the, like what they were giving to me, like, it's like everyone felt so sorry for me. I was like, yeah, I feel sorry for myself too. <laughs> um, you know, I never had an acting class that was like, here's how you cry. Here's how you cry in a scene. And I've always been like, it's like, it either happens or it doesn't. Um, and somehow in that episode, 
it 100% happened. Like every take was like, like real tears. Um, you know, and I have no shame, like on other projects where I've been like, Hey, can you guys put the shit in my eyes? Cause like, this isn't like, <laughs> this isn't going to happen right now. And like the audience isn't going to know. So I don't really care. Um, but yeah, on that one, it just kind of worked and the other ones it's worked, but yeah, it just, I, 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 I don't know. It was intense, but it was super fun. And it was like the best way to, trying to go out and the reaction to it was, I mean, just so humbling um, that I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever do anything good again. (laughs) The greatest thing we've ever done. Well, Sam, uh, that's not true because the greatest thing I'll ever do is the OC podcast that we're going to get to at some point, but we'll, we'll save that for later. Uh, everybody out there, we, we always love hearing from you, and especially with this season, there's so much to talk about uh, and so much to kind of like get into. Send us your comments and questions to binge at EW.com or tweet us. She's at Sam Highfill. I'm at Darren Franich. And while you're at it, hey, subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes. We're on the tail end of this podcast. The tailor end of this podcast. <laughs> Nailed it. We're on the tailor end of this podcast, but there's still two episodes left. And next week, we're going to talk all about season five. A lot of big moments. A lot of big moments to get into. Tim is back to wearing all white. Get excited. (laughs) 